So I'm going to attempt to teach through my laptop. This is my second time. I did it last night. It was Wednesday night, and I felt so bad. I, would, I walked in, and I kept saying, good morning, good morning, because I'm used to Thursday. So I'm short. Can you guys still see my head kind of, sort of, a little bit? Maybe kind of. So if this doesn't work, I have a, um, I have it like a, I can just print it. So anyways, making sure. Okay, I'm good. Let's just pray one more time. Lord, you know we have a lot of information to unload tonight, or to the, today, and Lord, I ask God that you would just give me time, you expand what I'm saying quickly, Lord, but more importantly, Lord, we have come to hear from you, so I, Lord, I ask God that you would bless the ladies with this word, and that you'd quicken their hearts and their minds to receive whatever it is that you have to say to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, oh, do you have study guides? Okay. Yes. Very good. So on the back, it's just a reference for, because I go through a thousand scriptures and we don't have a lot of time to give the addresses. So you just have it. Okay. If you want to go back and look at it, you have those already in the back for you. Okay. Okay. So with that, let's get started. Um, So the topic of our teaching today is sound in her faith. And as some of you who are doing the homework noticed um, this week that you will see the correlation between faith and sound doctrine. Now, this special relationship is not just represented in our text today in verses 10 through 16, but it can also be seen in a place of prominence at the very beginning of Paul's letter to Titus. So allow me to recap this connection for you, and I'm going to do so um, with with verse 1. I want you to listen closely for this connection between faith and knowledge. So chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ, Jesus Christ, to, the further, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Once again, verse 9 says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So we must link together forever the marriage of faith with sound doctrine. So because of the way the teaching schedule um, rotation went this year, I needed to start super early. So I actually began writing this message in early August um, while I was simultaneously reading through the book of Numbers in my quiet time. And it was there in Numbers 21 where I noticed something that was interesting as it pertained to our topic today. So in short, Moses and the Israelites were traveling through the Amorite territory, and Israeli messengers were sent to the king, King Sihon, requesting permission to travel through, pass through his country. But not only did the king, you know, deny Moses' request, but the Bible records that he also mustered his entire army and he marched out into the desert against Israel. So listen carefully to what followed. When he reached the Jahaz, when he reached Jahaz, he fought with Israel. Israel, however, put him to the sword, and they took over land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, but only as far as the Ammonites, because their border was fortified. So Moses and crew, they mopped up the Amorites, but they stopped short at the border of the Ammonites. Why? Because their border was secured. Their border was fortified. So in the same way, sound doctrine is that border that fortifies the life of faith. That's actually point number one on your study guide. Sound doctrine 
is the border that fortifies the life of faith. So border and fortifies. Imagine it as a wall of fire safeguarding your heart, your mind, your very steps. It keeps in the good, right? The good, the truth of God's word, but it kicks out the rest. Now, to kind of bring some illustration here, I know that a lot of you mamas are familiar with those baby gates. In fact, I'm going to have media bring up the first one of the happy baby. You're familiar with the gates, right? At the top and the bottom of the stairs. Well, I had one of those that was kind of like an octagon that made it kind of a circle. And so, you know, so I want you to imagine back in those days, and if just picture if you want, but you've, imagine that you've set up that plastic prison, right, for the safety of your child, and you've removed from the area anything sharp, possible choke hazards, overbearing pets and siblings, and you have furnished it with a plethora of fluffy, puffy, stuffy animals, all in an effort to allow your baby to flourish in peace and quiet. Now, similarly, sound doctrine is that strong defense. It's that place of security that our faith is built upon. But if you've been around long enough, mamas, you're going to testify that eventually you have a short shelf life with those gates, right? Soon you get the mad baby, the demon baby, and eventually you get the escape baby, with the little chubby legs going over, right? And so who hasn't tried to buck the system a time or two, figuring I'm just going to try it my way first? Or how about when our flesh whispers to us, it's just this once. And that door of compromise just gets cracked open just a little bit. But before you know it, you're drowning in a flood of sin and you can't believe how far and how fast that you've fallen. Question. Is your faith fortified by the loving boundaries of biblical truth? Because if it's not, then we risk opening ourselves up to all kinds of false teachings, weird half-truths, the lies of cultural persuasion, and even doctrines of demons. Listen to Paul's warning in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. The Spirit clearly says. So how does he say it, ladies? Clearly, there is no ambiguity there. So the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through who? Hypocritical liars, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. As your homework mentioned this week, true faith is dependent upon true doctrine. We don't believe in faith, first faith itself, right? No, Christianity is not comprised of empty ideas and wishful thinking. No, our faith, it's tied to doctrine. We believe in the gospel message that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He rose from the grave that we might live eternally with him forever. But it's when we stray and deviate from or try to add to or subtract from that message of truth that we get ourselves into trouble. This is the kind of fallout that we, are, we find in our text today. So we're going to start by taking a look at some of the characteristics of false teachers, beginning in verse 10. <clears throat> For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So did you notice the word many? For there are many who are that way. Just like Matthew seven thirteen reveals, 
Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. False doctrine, ladies, is not just relegated to religious circles and educational institutions. It can be found anywhere among anyone, especially those who are in positions of authority or power, like you know, politicians, government agencies, school boards. We could keep going with it. We also very clearly see that it's being pushed <clears throat> culturally through influencers and media, like news agencies, Halloween, Halloween, Hollywood for sure, even commercials, internet, all trying to normalize and standardize ungodly points of view. The bottom line, what is false doctrine? It's any argument, it's any pretension that sets itself up against what, ladies? The knowledge of God. Our faith in God is radically being challenged on many fronts, both overtly and covertly, even more, I feel like, in these days. Is it any wonder, then, that our text characterizes false teachers as insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers? When faith in Christ isn't secured by sound doctrine, the sound doctrine of the gospel, an unbeliever remains a pawn in the hands of Satan. Let me read for backup Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is a reference to Satan, the spirit who is now at work. In whom? In those who are disobedient, those who are not following after the Lord. Many are unaware that they are actually being used as inadvertent tools for the furtherance of Satan's schemes. Here's the bottom line. If you're not found in Christ, you're fair game, right? You're fair game for the enemy because he's the default. He, and he's a great deceiver. We can say, we can know, we can ascertain a lot by what people say. And for fun, to break it up a little bit, I want to give you, you gals, a few examples on the importance of words using illustrations from my sons. So for instance, my oldest says, luckfully. So luckfully, I have finished my homework, luckfully. Or when we're at a restaurant and he's ordering his drink, he says, yes, ma'am, may I please have a root beard, right? Root beard. Or when he's done being timed on a math test, he goes, mom... That was nerve-wrecking, right? Nerve-wrecking instead of nerve-wracking. And one of my favorites, he says, he'll come up. He goes, Mom, I've got a confessment to make. <laughs> All right, so I laid on me. What's that confessment? And then my youngest, you know, he's, he takes art right now in, in school. And, you know, they come home with these art projects. And you're trying to interpret what it is. And I thought he brought home, like, rocket ships. And apparently... It was supposed to be like flowers in a vase. Um, But anyways, he comes home and he says, Mama, look at what I made in art. I did this with oil pestos. Oil pestos instead of pastels. It's hilarious. I have a thousand of those, but just a few. So we had a bit of fun right now, and that's because I just want to break it up a little bit. But we really do want to get back to the importance of words as it relates to our study. So in matters of faith and life... False teachers, they push their narrative and their manipulation with their words. Our text labels them as empty and mere talkers. Luke 6.45 states, For out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. The fruit of our lips, for better or for worse, is really a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. And deeper still, it's a picture of our posture either toward or against God. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin, Proverbs 13.3. We're also told in our text that these particular false teachers were of the circumcision party, meaning that from a place of self-effort and pride, one might find salvation through the following of Jewish man-made traditions and commandments. So not too long ago, I received a voicemail Uh, from a woman claiming to offer me some comfort and some peace in these crazy times. And all I had to do was go online to a Jehovah's Witness website and watch a convention. And, you know, I I was like, well, of course I want peace with the Lord, right? I want want to walk with God. I want peace. But I know that I'm not going to find it in the works-based false religion of the Jehovah's Witness. Why? Because the New Testament makes very plain that it's by grace through faith, that we are saved and not of works. I will find life in the only true Son of God, Jesus Christ. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of, of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. How, ladies? What does the scripture say? He makes peace how? Through the blood. Through his blood. It doesn't say works, right? It doesn't say go to a a convention. It doesn't say tradition. It says through his blood. His blood shed on a cross. And at the end of her voicemail, the lady said, there's information here for the entire family. I was like, oh, no, there's not. Now, keeping that phrase in mind, follow along with me as we pick up our text again in verse 11. It says, They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Faith that doesn't filter out false doctrine can upset whole households. This is point number two. Faith that doesn't filter out false doctrine can upset whole households. Now, I know you gals are secretly wondering, what am I doing with the coffee maker up here? Well, we're going to do a little illustration here, and I don't drink coffee, so I understand this is a coffee maker, not a coffee grinder, but you're all going to work with me, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, we are. Okay, so I brought coffee beans, and these coffee beans are going to simulate the ideas and, and the thoughts and the voices and the opinions that we hear day in and day out. And what I'm uh, communicating to you is that these thoughts, they need to be filtered, right? We need to filter that puppy, those puppies. And how do we filter? By the washing of the water of the word. Amen. Because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But whatever doesn't get filtered out properly taints us. So if this is our mind, let's pretend that this top part's the brain and this, top, this bottom part's the body. Whatever does not get filtered out properly is going to taint our actions. Right? It's going to spill from here and it's going to be seen in our actions. 
but we want the word of God to pass through our thoughts, right? Because we want to be cleansed. We want our thoughts to be cleansed. And only the Lord is able to take these thoughts, these dark thoughts, and only he, through his word, by his Holy Spirit, is able to change these thoughts from darkness to light, from incorrect to correct, from evil to pure. That is the work of the Holy Spirit through the washing of the water of the word. So we want our thoughts to be filtered. We want to take what we hear and filter them. Because what is brought into our homes as mothers, as women, matters greatly. If families truly are the fabric of society, and I believe that they are, then it makes sense tactically and it makes sense spiritually to fight on that front. As mothers, soon-to-be mothers, spiritual mamas, we are tasked with the great responsibility to safeguard the well-being of our families, our loved ones, our spiritual daughters. Proverbs 31, 27 tells us that the virtuous woman, she watches over the affairs of her household. The meaning of watch here means to look out, to spy, to keep watch, to observe. And when I dug a little deeper, the primitive root word means to lean forward. That is to peer into the distance and by implication to observe, to await, to behold. An attentive mother, see, she's in that forward position, amen, ladies? She's in that position of leadership like an eagle on a perch looking into the distance, just waiting for danger to take a step. She knows. She's there. She's attentive. She sees what's what's coming, and she takes precautions, and she provides the godly explanations needed for her loved ones because her spiritual weapon of choice is the belt of truth. It's the Bible, and she wields it powerfully by the Spirit of God against the lies and the corruption of this world. I love how Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way. He says, the word of God is an anvil by which the opinions of men are smashed. He has the ultimate say. Yes, he does. And like many of you, we've been forced as a family to have those premature conversations with our sons due to culture's attempt to normalize things like same-sex marriage and more recently transgenderism. Yet these circumstances, they're also opportunities to expose false doctrine for what it really is. And instead, right, to to share the beautiful, beautiful design and the intention that God has for man and woman and marriage, as well as the redemption that he offers through the forgiveness of sins. We must filter out false doctrine that seeks to destroy our families. With help from the Holy Spirit, we've got to be that gatekeeper, that wall of fire surrounding and fortifying the gift of family that we've been given. Because if we don't, Don't we know, ladies, the enemy's going to do it for us? He's all too willing to teach our kids the ways of the world. He knows just what to do. So what did Paul recommend Titus do about false teachers? Well, if you recall, verse 11 says that they must be silenced. And verse 13 says to rebuke them sharply. Paul had a lot of experience in this area. In fact, similarly, his counsel to Timothy was to tell the false teachers there in Ephesus to stop or to be excommunicated. Introducing falsehood at the expense of destroying families for the sake of dishonest gain was no laughing matter. And so I appreciate Paul's shepherding heart to be protective 
and proactive over the well-being of God's flock. And I think it's a good reminder for us to see both the holiness of God as well as the seriousness of sin. So back to Titus. Yes, the first step in addressing false doctrine is verbal confrontation. While it can sometimes feel uncomfortable, confrontation, it can yield an advantageous outcome. Listen to these verses from Proverbs. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Love is such an important ingredient here. Love doesn't have to be diametrically opposed to confrontation. Perhaps, you know, surprising to some of us, you know, the Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians that love rejoices with the truth. This is the goal that Paul lays out for Titus. It says, rebuke them sharply. Why? That they might be sound in the faith. Paul is genuinely concerned with with the flock of Titus's flock, but he's also concerned with the salvation of the false teacher. His counsel to Titus is actually an exhibition of his love for the lost. And according to one commentary, the purpose of the rebuke is to salvage the false teacher himself. It's to recover the one who's in error. Even with our discipline, the Father corrects us in love, and he does it in righteousness. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. We hope to discipline our children in the very same manner. I want you to listen, listen to the motives, because I'm going to share some verses that for some is controversial, for others it's not. But what I want you to focus on is the motive behind the verse, okay? Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children, but those who love their children are careful to discipline them. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. It's in love and with temperance that we responsibly discipline our children. In the same fashion, correcting false doctrine should not be punitive. We want it to be restorative. That's point number three on your study guide. Correcting false doctrine should not be punitive, but restorative. Let's read the final verses of our text, picking up in verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Wow. Right? Paul does not sugarcoat a thing. He is bold. He is a bold brother. But he brings clarity to the underlining cause of unrepentant false teachers. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works, the scripture says. The hypocrisy described here can be traced back in part to, in my opinion, in little to no fear of the true and living God. Why? Because true wisdom and knowledge begin with a reverence for God, not a denial of him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, Proverbs 9.10. So if a teacher is unwilling to acknowledge the Lord in word and deed, then what comes forth from his mouth cannot be trusted. Listen to Proverbs 26. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. 
though his speech is charming, do not believe him, for seven abominations fill his heart. His malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. So, in my limited observations on the subject of, of false doctrine, false teachers, I believe people dismiss sound biblical doctrine for several reasons. Some are just ignorant. They have no clue of what the Bible says. There's no reference point of truth. There's no compass pointing true north. Others, I think, they, they just follow precedence. They carry on in the, in the same footsteps that others have left for them. This is the way life has always been, and I'm going to continue in that pattern set before me. Another more serious reason is denial. This occurs when the truth of God's word has been shared, and the heart still retains that hardness, um, that disbelief. You know, Mark 4 is a great reference point uh, where Jesus shares the parable of the sower and how the four hearts respond to the word of God. Or finally, we have flat-out defiant rebellion of truth, which is what I believe in part causes that defiled mind and conscience that we see in our text. It's this kind of rebellion, which I mentioned previously, that springs from a mindset that doesn't fear God. And I want to make this illustration from Scripture, and I'm going to, I'm going to use Luke 4 for it. I'll read it for you. But in Luke 4, we find the passage where we witness the temptation of Jesus by Satan. Verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It, it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. So as a prize, we see that Satan offers up authority and glory over the kingdoms. If Jesus would just bow down and agree with Satan's doctrine, his desire to be worshipped, his view, his brand of how the world should be. Satan's rebellious offer to Jesus reveals the reason and the motive behind the heart of the denial of the truth of sound doctrine. You see, it's all about personal authority. People want to be the ultimate authority in their lives. They want to be in control. They want to be God, small g. They want to live their own doctrine, and they want to worship themselves above all else. But does Jesus cave in? What did he say to Satan, and what does he say to us or to the person caught up living in their own ways? Verse 8, Jesus said, It is written to worship. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There is no middle ground here, ladies. We can't serve two masters because he will not share his glory with another. We push back against false doctrine because we rightfully acknowledge that he alone is God and he alone is worthy of worship. We follow him, not the latest TV celebrity, not the TV show Guru, not the random worldly blog or some misguided self-help book. Jesus is 
the power, and the wisdom of God. And he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Now I want you to catch something else from Luke 4. Allow me to continue reading in verse 9. The devil led him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you safely. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So we know that Satan fights back with the word. That is not a surprise to us. At least as as Christians, we're aware of that. But listen to what A.W. Tozer said. It is fascinating. He says, The devil is a better theologian than any of us and is a devil still. Let that sink in for a moment. That's radical. Satan will twist the word of God to be out of context to suit his own interests. He does the same with us, hoping to get us snagged up in some half-truth while he pretends to be some false angel of light. We don't have to be theologians to spot a lie. No. We don't have to be around false teachers to believe lies. We can even deceive ourselves. In fact, the biggest whopper that I tell myself is, I don't need to write that down. I'm going to remember it. No problem. Right? Or how about this one? In fact, I'm going to have the media put it on so you can see it because this one's good. Remember, if you lose a sock in the dryer, it comes back as a Tupperware lid that doesn't fit any of your containers. Now, that's true. That's true. Okay, that has nothing to do with our study, but I felt compelled to share it to you. You're welcome, ladies. You're welcome. No, we don't have to be theologians, but we want to be good stewards of God's word, challenging what we see and sifting what we hear through the belt of truth. This is how Jesus repelled the lies of Satan in Luke 4. Jesus answered and said, do not put your Lord God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee, I love this part, in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. We want the whole counsel of the word. Amen? We don't want a piecemeal version. We don't want some some manipulation. We want Jesus. We, We don't want the milk. We want solid food. Here's a quote for you. The best way to discern what is false is to study the truth. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot on discernment, because if you're in the homework group, you know that it was so much on discernment. But what we are going to do is I'm going to give you a visual to help that sink in. And let me me paint a picture. So my... um, I'm going to paint a picture of discernment for you. So my sister moved to Idaho about a year and a half ago. And so she was out just recently with her daughter. And they went shopping at a thrift store. And they happened to come upon this gem. And we're going to watch it's a five-second video. We're going to watch it twice because this is going to be your illustration for discernment. Enjoy. Oh, there's no music. Okay. Well, in real life, this has creepy music. Okay. So we kind of lose the effect. But... Here's what you have here. You have a mannequin with a cardigan and a nice set of pearls. But then we have ourselves a creepy doll head. Right? That's creepy. But here's the point. That's what discernment is like. Discernment lets you know when something is wrong, like that creepy doll head. Right? Okay. Um, Where are we? Okay. So 
We want to ask for discernment. We want to ask for it in droves. We want it in an abundance of, of ways so that we can rightly divide the word of God, the word of truth. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinks within himself, so he is. I love this verse for its simplicity because it very simply illustrates our topic today. We are what we believe. Our beliefs are played out in our actions. As Denise wrote in her welcome email to all of us, she says, Truth leads to godliness. Belief marks behavior. Faith and conduct go hand in hand. False teaching is not just incorrect doctrine, ladies. It also produces incorrect living. That is point number four. False teaching is not just incorrect doctrine. It also produces incorrect living. This so undergirds the importance of why biblical faith and doctrine must remain inseparable. Let's stay grounded in truth so that we can bear fruitful and faithful lives for his glory. Now, I want to illustrate one more brief but but vital point before we leave. I'm going to reread those last two verses of our text, but this time, let's look at it through the, the lens of contrast and dichotomy. Verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both But both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. There is a great contrast represented here between the pure and the defiled. What separates the two is their orientation towards truth, toward their acceptance of biblical doctrine. One leads to life and the other one leads to death. So the stakes could not be any higher. What grieves my heart most about this topic tonight or today is at the end of the day, false doctrine, which in my opinion is really just another form of self-worship, but false doctrine will never fulfill the true longings of the soul. This is point number five. False doctrine will never fulfill the true longings, your desires of the soul. It leaves the heart hungry for more and never satisfied. From a spiritual standpoint, the quality of life can't compare because the answers that are sought out for or the beliefs that are maintained still leave that person in spiritual poverty with want of more of something better. On various levels, there will forever be a measurement of of disappointment, of dissatisfaction, hopelessness, and a chasing of the wind because we were created with eternity set upon our hearts. We were created for relationship to worship the Lord. Nothing will ever truly satisfy us except for the bread of life. So as women of faith, we've all benefited and we've been blessed to understand God's grace in all its truth. Sound doctrine has shaped our lives correctly, and we are the better for it. Faith built on truth has hemmed us in from so many disasters, not all of them, but how much has he spared us from because we've chosen to be obedient to his word? And as we close, I want us to take to heart the words of Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, and then I'll pray. He says, 
But you, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask, God, that your spirit would make just the application that we need today, the challenges that we face, the things that we hear. Help us to know what is right and what is wrong. Help us to have hearts to discern, to study, to look, or to ask. We don't have to be theologians. We can ask for help on things. Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.